What's going on, everybody? This is Matt from The Tangent. Today's episode is actually longer than 30 minutes. So if you are listening on the radio, you will hear the 30 minutes. However, you will have the opportunity to download it in full as a podcast later on. And I will remind you of that at the end of the episode. I hope you enjoy this week's episode of Dang. The Tangent. Okay. <laughs> I almost just fell into the chair. And you fall down. <laughs> Welcome to The Tangent. All right. My name is Matt Sparaza. Father Sam Kachuba. This is The Tangent, <laughs> as, as previously mentioned. Yeah. So I had my, my first dream about The Tangent. Yeah. And I need to tell you about it because it was hilarious. Okay. And, and confusing all at once. In my dream... Uh, we were recording an episode in what appeared to be a restaurant. So there's some stuff going on. There were tables and chairs and, and what what kind of food? I, I we weren't eating. Okay, we were just there. All right, I just I was just looking for details. Sure. So so there we are sitting uh, in our at at our table. We've got our, our equipment set up, and there's like this production crew comes walking in, and they're very clearly production crew. They've got headphones and and they're carrying all kinds of equipment, electronic stuff. And sure. So they come in to, to, to talk and, and they said, all right, well, we're going to have you guys right here. And we were already set and talking. And so it was very confusing that all of a sudden we were there. And uh, they said, and the play-by-play will be over here. And I was very confused the play by, by the play-by-play. Play. Play. But, but it's a podcast and there's no, there's no play-by-play. And they said, well, it. Mr. Madden will be in in a second. And then they led John Madden in. Now, mind you, John Madden has been dead for a year. Mm-hmm. Uh, God rest his soul. And so we're talking John Madden of the, of the NFL, of, of the uh, announcing and of video game fame. Yeah. Right? So yeah. John Madden comes in, but he's blind and he's being led by the arm as a blind man to, to come in and do the color commentary and play-by-play of what we're doing. But because he's blind and obviously can't see anything of what we're doing, there's a woman who's, who's telling him everything that's going on and she's explaining everything and he's just repeating everything that she says in the John Madden voice, right? So I have no idea why this is happening. And then next thing I know, Trent Horn comes over. Now, I've never seen a picture of Trent Horn, but he's an EWTN uh, apologist and evangelist. And, yeah. and he's got shows on, on EWTN. I'm pretty sure Veritas airs at least one of his shows, he, right? So he works primarily... Well, is, is Catholic Answers and EWTN like... I think they... Are they, they work together. I think they work hand in hand. Yeah. Right, okay. Because he's, he's Catholic Answers and... And got his own show. Yeah. So I've heard him on stuff before. I, I have no idea what the man looks like. That's awesome. But th- I knew for a fact that this was Trent Horn, and he was walking up, and he said, I've got I've to do a little thing here. And he sat down, took one of our microphones, and just started to, to talk. And then he opened it up for questions, and a seventh grader asked him a question, and it completely stumped him. <laughs> and that's how my dream ended. So we had blind John Madden, Trent Horn being stumped by a seventh grader, and for some reason we were recording an episode of The Tangent in a restaurant. This this altogether sounds like an entertaining dream. Well, it was so weird. It was just such a bizarre thing to experience. Have you looked up what he looks like yet? No, no. I, I've decided that I, I want him to be in my dreams. And, and Can, only I, so I not only know what he looks like, but I well, I I guess I didn't really meet him, but my wife actually took a photo with him. No kidding. I have yeah, I have a fun Trent story, Trent Horn story, which is that we went to a Steubenville conference. Okay, and. My, I, I, I will say, so he played, I think, he played a large role in her conversion to Catholicism. Cool. Right. Uh, Scott Hahn played a gigantic role because Rome Sweet Home was like a clincher, I think. Um, and, and she actually met him and he gave her like a grandpa hug, 
where like he gave her a hug and he put his his chin on the top of her head because she shared that she was from Pittsburgh, which is where he's from, and that she came from a Presbyterian church and that was what he was. Right. So right. it was like they had all this and there was a really nice moment and it was sweet and it was awesome. Um, but then she went to meet Trent Horn and as he said, he said, uh, okay, so I have to go now. Like we're next in line or something. And Renee let out an audible gasp. Like it was, it was, I, cu- I couldn't believe that she did like that. She was like, she was like, oh, no, I love and it. So he like, he was like, okay. <laughs> and Come on up like, one more. Yeah. Yeah. And so he took a photo with my twin sister, Lauren yep. and with my wife, Renee. And it was very funny because at like, I did the double photo and then I like slowly adjusted the camera. So it was just Renee and Trent Horn and Lauren was like, Come on, man. <laughs> you know, but so you like your own sister out of a picture. Yeah. 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 But no, that like, tells you that you've really left father and mother behind and, and yeah, have clung to your wife. Yeah, exactly, exactly. Yeah. But Trent Horn took, I it, I wouldn't say it was a pity photo, but it was like it was a, a pity photo. But it was a pity yeah. photo. All right, but, well, that means that, that Trent Horn's a good guy. Yeah. Because anybody willing to take that pity photo, you know, yeah. they've got to be a decent yeah. human being. Trent Horn, good guy. <laughs> I'm good always guy amazed. <laughs> you heard it here, folks, for the first time. No, I'm always amazed by by people in those positions where they they have to do a book signing or they have to meet people and and they just they're so patient. Yeah. That they stick around for so long and they talk to people and they answer the same questions again and again and again. I'm, yeah. I'm impressed by that. So anyway, that was that was the dream. Yeah, that's that was our, the dream. You didn't I, know that today's episode was going to be on Trent Horn. Or let's try to interpret some dreams here. <laughs> like what was happening? Right. What the heck was going I, on? I don't in have my that head? charism, Father. I don't either, but I think it's fun to take a stab at it. No, they say that dreams are, are your brain processing unconscious thoughts okay. and, and just kind of going through all the stuff of your day and all the things that are going on. Uh, I have no idea why. I understand the, the idea of the tangent being part of the dream, that it's something that's been on my mind. Right. So we're right. working through some things, right? So, okay, that, that that's somewhere buried in my mind and my brain has to process it so that mm-hmm. I, can, I can actually sleep and rest a little bit. That's fine. I get it. Being in a restaurant, um, John Madden, I've so, look, most here, certainly not thought stat. of John Madden at all. I, I know what it is, actually. Okay. It's that the Lord wants us to talk about food at some point. And we're gonna have that special episode. Oh yeah, right. Right. We're gonna have. We're gonna just. We're just gonna. We're gonna leave leave it like that. Yeah. Okay. There will be a special. We have a special episode coming up. Okay. And food will be involved. Exactly. Yes. Uh, Two, the Lord wants us to interview both John Madden and Trent Horn. Okay. Uh, (laughs) So that the Trent Horn one is is far more likely, even though he's he's important and yeah, a good guy. Good Good guy. guy. We've established good guy Trent Horn. Yeah, he's he's a good guy. Uh, But that's his Twitter handle actually. But he's kind of in demand, so we might not be able to get him. And John Madden, uh, I don't know. Anything is possible with God, Father. Yeah, but but in this case, I mean, short of, of the day that we see the Lord face-to-face in the resurrection, I'm not sure that, that interviewing John Madden is, is really likely. Now, we might right. be able to get that guy. I can't think of his name now, but he was on Mad TV, and he always did the John Madden impression. I don't even know what you're talking. Yeah, about. I can't. I can't think of his name now. But uh, is he, Mad TV? Was that an MTV thing? No, Mad TV was sort of the. I think it was showing my Fox. age here. No, no, it's okay. I'm, so Mad Magazine. Do you remember Mad yes. Magazine? Right. Yes. So they they made a TV version where they were doing sketch comedy and everything. Okay. And it was sort of like, it was I think Fox's answer to SNL. Sure. We're gonna we're gonna come up with a sketch comedy show and, and we're gonna do this, and it. It had some moments like uh, Key and Peele mm. kind of came from Mad TV. Really? Yeah, that's where they that's where they got. I the didn't start. know that. So if you're if you're interested in in the Key and Peele, sk- I love uh, Key sketches, and Peele. 
That's, I think they're funny guys. Yeah, check them out. They were on they were on Mad TV. Really? Yeah, they did a lot of stuff there. Right. Okay. So they. I thought Key and Peele was just a. Con- this is not what we were supposed to talk about. Not today. at all. No. Right. But we're, it's okay. We're just we're just going there. This will eventually connect to either confirmation or the rosary. I'm I'm sure of it. Um. But I thought that I thought Key and Peele were Comedy Central. They are. But oh, it was Mad TV? They were on. Does Mad Fox TV. own Comedy Central? No, no. I think I think Mad TV was on Comedy was on Fox. And then oh, and went com- off the air. I and see, then I Key see. and Peele started on Comedy Central. Okay, okay. I mean, I don't actually know any of sure. this, but it's now been recorded, so it so, must be definitive. Yeah, now. that's it. And this Trust is gonna, everything you hear on the internet, folks. This is definitely going on the internet, yeah. so it must be true, because you can't just put anything on the no internet. No way, that's ridiculous. <laughs> anyway, uh, yeah, so that was my weird dream. Okay. It, so it, it did actually get me thinking about, there's the interpretation of dream, figuring out what's going on in, in, the, in your subconscious. But then there's the, the other version of dreaming, the other aspect of it, which is like, what are your dreams? What so, do you want to do? So if, if in fact, if in fact, um, dreams are the, did you say acknowledgement of your subconscious? No, it's just your brain processing. Okay, so if it's just your left. brain processing, right? Yeah. And I've heard things like I've heard things like while you sleep, uh, certain I, I I don't know the technical terms right, but your brain waves are moving at a certain pace and they're hitting right. a higher high and a lower low right, meaning they're larger, uh, and it's kind of like hitting command S. It's like mm-hmm. how you save long and short term memory, and then it clears it out clears it out ready for the next day. Right, right. So there's a there's a biological aspect to sleep, mm-hmm. right? But how do you how do you uh, combine that? How is it complementary? Because it's not supplementary, I don't think, right? But how is how are the biological aspects of sleep and the theological, you know, knowledge we have of sleep? Meaning, like, because because uh, both well, both Josephs, right? They right. both receive things in dreams. How do you how do you mesh these things? I, I think it's the idea that God can work even outside of our biological mm. functions, right? And God grace can also, elevates nature, right? And God can also use our biological functions to get us to recognize a spiritual truth. Right. So this spiritual reality that he's calling me to something, uh, he may help me to understand as my brain processes through these, mm. these things. Again, though, if we're thinking of, of the brain doing this as, as sort of a biological function to kind of clean house and, and prepare for the, for the next day, then in sleep, these things that have entered into my mind, and these things may have entered into my mind because I was in prayer. Mm-hmm. So while I was praying, God was communicating something to me, but it's sort of a delayed reception right. on my end until I have that until I have that dream. Right, and in a way, right when you're dreaming, because I, I mean, I've I've never had what are they called? They're like uh, the dreams that you can control yourself. Do you know what I'm talking about? Like I've never had one of those. Th- there, it is a thing that some people some people have those. They get to make choices. They make choices, and it's almost like huh. like I've heard of times where like it's like they're flying, but they're doing it on purpose. Do you know what I mean? I've had. I think it's a fluid dream, or a. Huh. I don't know. I don't remember the name of it. Any dream that I've ever had, things are just happening, and it's not right. Happening well, and, and that's where I'm, I'm going it. with it. It's that for most people, yeah, right. I imagine you are. You're kind of in the back seat if you're if you're dreaming. You know what I mean? Things are happening. You're, you're not passive. the driver. You're right. yeah. You're passive. It's a passive experience. And so it, it almost opens up the opportunity for God. You know? I think you're right. In a lot of ways, because God can enter in then and do something with that passivity. Yeah. In some ways, it's the only time that we're actually truly passive. Yeah. 
because we get so in the way sometimes. I mean, how many times in prayer have you tried to tell God what to do? Right. Or have, have you gotten confused about what you were praying about? You're, as, you're, as you're praying, you're asking God for guidance, and you're not sure if it's your idea yeah. or God's idea. If You're not sure if it's something that you, you're holding in your heart or if this is something that God has actually placed there. Mm. So those ideas are, are rolling through your brain, and because you're awake and now you're looking around and trying to figure out what's going on, well, you're getting distracted by the stuff that you see around you. You're, you're not really there right. in the moment of prayer. When you go to sleep, God can clarify and, and speak things to you that you need to hear. But there's something, when you, when you think of Joseph and Joseph, Joseph in the Old Testament, Joseph in the New Testament, being inspired in dreams, or Peter being inspired in a dream uh, for something, this idea of like that, that trance and that, that ability to hear the voice of God, that comes from something. Mm-hmm. That comes from a sense of peace and everything being right. That right. You, you can't just... You can't just expect that God's going to be speaking. There has to be a, an overall sense of, of peace. And where does that peace come from? Well, that peace comes from a regular life of prayer. That peace comes from from really knowing knowing right. God. Right. Right. I think uh, so. So something else. Right. I've I have personally this this conversation jogged this memory for me. So I might stumble through it. When I was in college, uh, I suffered from terrible scrupulosity. Okay. Particularly towards the end, uh, because. Well, I guess throughout the whole thing, it, but it, but I, at one point I walked away from the faith because of it. It right. literally drove me out of the church, um, and when I returned, it was like harder than ever. Um, and I had a dream that I know. So, if scrupulosity is truly what it is, then there's there's got to be like a, deno- a a demonic force behind it, you know. Like th- it's not only biological, and and it is to an extent, um, but it's also spiritual warfare. And I had a dream that I know was a form of spiritual warfare. Mm. Uh, because in many ways my scrupulosity had to do with my vocation, mm-hmm. which I think is very, very common. Um, and I remember having this dream where, so at this point in my life, I was under the impression that the path to holiness was priesthood. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I misunderstood the, I under, misunderstood vocation as, as a whole, right? But I, I misunderstood the fact that the priesthood is a higher thing than marriage, meaning that, uh, Meaning that I thought thought that I would be worse off for getting married, gotcha. as opposed to well, they're different. One is ontologically higher, but but you know God calls you to one of these, so the the right one is the one God calls you to. You know what I mean? Yes. That in other words, if if we're talking about marriage and and priesthood as distinct vocations, and if we're doing a direct comparison theologically we can speak about right. one being a, a higher vocation but it, it's a higher vocation because of the sacrament received that that requires something different right but that doesn't mean that it's holier right higher and holier are not the same thing sure in, in this example sure. right sure yeah right so i i misunderstood that totally and completely um and i i was even dating renee at the time and so it was like all of this turmoil you know we had just started dating and i had a dream where a literal monster like it like it was a it was like a gigantic monster it had to be like had to be like 10 to 15 feet tall wow appeared to me and i was surrounded by my family and friends and this monster said you want to be a priest and i said fine and then all of my family and friends started cursing and yelling at me as i was surrounded in a circle 
surrounded by them in a circle, right? This is a dream. There's not this a real is, 10 to 15 foot monster, right, folks. Right, right, just, right. just so we're clear, listener, right. there's not a 10 to 15 foot monster just, attacking yeah, Matt just because, And it doesn't have several eyes. But, uh, but I, like, I remember waking up from this and being like, oh my gosh. Like, like yeah. it totally flipping me out. And, and in a way, uh, experiencing spiritual warfare from this dream in and of itself. You know what I mean? Yeah. You, so, you use an important phrase when you start describing the... the the scrupulosity that you dealt with, which is that you suffered from it. Mm -hmm. And I think that's an important piece to keep in mind that somebody who's dealing with scrupulosity, which is the the fear of, of almost anything being sinful mm -hmm. uh, and kind of overly being concerned about that, that sinfulness of, of an action or a choice or a word. Mm -hmm. And so blaming yourself in some cases, it's, it's actually a manifestation of obsessive compulsive disorder. Yeah. Which, which I uh, was diagnosed with Yeah, and, and runs in my family. So I have, many, many family members that have it. So this is a, a thing that can really happen. Right. But I think it's always important to acknowledge that there's a suffering that goes with it. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I don't think you're wrong at all that there's a, a spiritual warfare component as well. Mm -hmm. I think it's just always important what you said, that you suffered from this because that suffering is very real. And people who are dealing with scrupulosity are, they, they really are suffering. Oh, it's terrible. But then when they, when they can also understand it, that it's in the context of spiritual warfare, and what does God promise to us in the midst of spiritual warfare? Uh, think of Jesus being tempted in the, in the desert, and even the devil knows God will send his angels to protect you. Mm -hmm. Even the devil knows that, yeah. that the angels are there to protect us, that we have St. Michael fighting for us, that we have the intercession of, of all the saints. So in the midst of that spiritual war and that battle— as much as you're suffering that scrupulosity, it's also very, I would imagine it's got to be very comforting to know I have the angels and saints on my side and fighting right. with me and for me and interceding for me. I'm not alone in this. Right. Well, for a long time, for a long time, the suffering, I think, outweighed my understanding of the grace. Yeah. Um, but particular, I mean, obviously in hindsight, you know, because I, I think, I think truly I have been almost like miraculously healed of this. And I did ask for that. I did ask for that. Um, that I mean, I, I encountered it. I encountered it, and and in hindsight, I can see two things: one, not only the healing, but even before that, how the Lord used it. Mm. The Lord used this scrupulosity that led me to under uh, to a deeper understanding of the church and of Himself. All right, I want you to use that as the. We're just going to pause there for a second because. You're talking about something. You don't realize this yet. Okay. I'm making a connection Great. in my head to a question that you asked me last week. Okay. Okay. And it was that question about confirmation. So I want you to ask the question about confirmation okay. because we're going to come back then to this experience of healing. Okay. Because I think this experience of healing is really important, mm -hmm. but this experience of healing does not stand independent of everything else that God has done in your life. So ask the question about confirmation that you had because, oh, I'm excited now. Okay. I'm so, so excited. The, the question is, how do you feel about telling the uh, bishop that the confirmande are prepared, right, when many of them are quote-unquote not? Sure. Yeah. I think it's a great question. Uh, number one, I, I keep in mind that there's no such thing in the right of confirmation as a as anything other than a presentation of the candidates, these are the candidates. There's there's no right. There's no call and response. Unlike in holy orders, when a man is presented to be ordained a priest, there's a dialogue scripted 
that the church requires in the liturgy, mm-hmm. whereby the vicar for clergy or the vocation director or some representative of the presbyterate speaks to the bishop and says, Most Reverend Father, we ask you to ordain these, our brothers, to the responsibility of the priesthood. And the bishop says, Do you know them to be worthy? And the response is, After consultation with the people of God and on the recommendation of those responsible, I testify that they have been found worthy. So this idea that these these guys have gone through their seminary formation, they've been evaluated, and their evaluations have been taken into consideration for every single year that they've been in seminary. These evaluations have all been taken into consideration. Those who are responsible for their formation, the faculty of their seminary, are saying, we believe this man to be prepared for the priesthood. Then whatever priest is delegated to to give these responses says, I testify that they have been found worthy. So that's why it's always the vocation director or the vicar for clergy, because those are the guys who have read the whole file. They know the stuff about this guy. So they make that statement, I testify they have been found worthy. That doesn't actually exist in any other sacrament. There there is no other sacrament where somebody has to testify that this person is worthy to receive the sacrament. Uh, in, in matrimony, that testimony is simply, I speak about myself. So if I'm going to get married, I have to say, I've never been married before. I have to swear to tell the truth about that. I'm the right. one testifying. You might ask for somebody to say they are free to marry. You might ask yeah, for an affidavit. Yeah, I, I mean, I was asked a bunch of questions that resembled yeah. this. One and, of them was like, do you have a... Do you have any children your spouse, your future spouse doesn't know about? Yeah. You know, are you, do you have any mental illnesses that your future spouse doesn't know about? Because these are important things you want to make sure that, that, that somebody yeah. knows about. But there's, there's nobody standing up at your wedding and saying, uh, these guys are, are definitely worthy of marriage, or right. these guys are definitely even prepared for marriage, right? So in confirmation, we've kind of developed this tradition it's an informal one. It's not scripted in, in the liturgy itself that the church gives to us, but we've developed this tradition of uh, the pastor or somebody else from the parish saying, these are the candidates, and I testify that they are prepared to receive the sacrament, which is all well and good. Sure. Right? I don't I don't have an issue with it right. uh, in that way. It's it's something that we do just to kind of emphasize that they've, that they've done some kind of preparation. And I believe very much in the necessity to prepare for sacraments. So if you are getting confirmed, if you're getting married, you need to do preparation. Mm-hmm. The preparation is very different, obviously, for somebody who wants to be confirmed versus somebody who wants to be married. And the preparation is very different for a child who's seeking confirmation and an adult who's seeking confirmation because their ability to process information right. is very different. Yeah, their ability to be catechized. Yeah, exactly. So when you've got those those differences, all right, fine, there's differences. It's good to say that I think that they're ready. But there's another truth to the sacraments that's really important for us to keep in mind because just because somebody has done preparation doesn't necessarily mean that they are spiritually disposed in the moment um, or that they fully grasp and understand everything that they're doing. But a sacrament, in order to be efficacious, doesn't require the full perfect knowledge of the person receiving the sacrament. Mm. It does require their their freedom and it does require them to be valid matter. So what's valid matter for sa- for the sacrament of confirmation? I don't know. You have to be a baptized person. Okay. That's right. it. That that's what's required. That's the the absolute right. thing not, that must it's be. It's not the first sacrament of initiation. Right. Is it technically the second or the third? It's the second. 
Right, okay. The proper ordering of the sacraments of initiation, this is a whole thing that the, the bishop thinks I'm crazy for. I don't think he actually thinks that I'm crazy, but he just kind of rolls his eyes every time I say it because he's <laughs> so tired of hearing me say it so many times. But the proper order of the sacraments of initiation is baptism, confirmation, and then Eucharist. Right. To receive the Eucharist is the, is the outward sign that I am a fully initiated member of the community. Mm. And so full initiation means I've been confirmed. Right. The gifts and the graces of baptism have been sealed in me by the grace of the sacrament of confirmation. And now, because of that, I can fully participate in the in the liturgical and sacramental life of the church. And as a sign of my communion with the church, mm. I receive the Eucharist, Holy Communion. Is the, in the Eastern Rites, is it, because I know they do all three with, with babies. Yeah, in the Eastern Rite, they uh, baptize, they chrismate, they call confirmation chrismation. Okay. They chrismate and they communicate them, right? The, the way right, that- Off the bat, but in that order. Yes. Yes, and in and in the Easter vigil, if somebody is if a catechumen is being brought into the church, they're baptized, right. they're confirmed, and they're given their first communion. Yeah, sure. So that's how it works in the in the ordering sure. of the uh, rite of Christian initiation of adults. Or, uh, I guess yeah, it's gonna I be, mean, Renee went through RCIA. Yeah, yeah it's right. going to be called the the order of Christian initiation of adults now. So kind of really? more in line with the other liturgical books, it'll be called the order, not the rite. Really? Yeah, it's cool. When when did that change? It's supposed to have already changed. I just don't know that we have the English translation yet. Oh, I'm not sure. Really? But in any case. Because a sacrament can be received validly, can be validly conferred, and because that sacrament can even be efficaciously received, I don't think questioning so much the, the, the real preparation is always the most important thing. So especially when we're talking about something like confirmation. Marriage, I would have a very different feeling about. Holy orders, a very different feeling about. I wouldn't want somebody presenting themselves for marriage who hasn't done preparation because marriage as a lifelong commitment requires that you are prepared. Yeah. Now, the good news about marriage is that you have your entire life to figure it out. Right. But you see, that's, that's having received the sacrament. You then live in the grace of the sacrament. And so from your wedding day on, you're figuring out how you're going to live out marriage and what this is going to look like. It's not that on, the, on your wedding day, you perfectly understood everything that marriage required and you perfectly understood exactly what you were doing and you had perfect knowledge of every sacramental aspect of, of what the theology of marriage is and all of its consequences. No. What it means is that on your wedding day, you were ready to receive that grace of the sacrament. You desired and intended to enter into a true marriage and now you're striving to live that marriage, right? On your day, on the day of, of your confirmation, uh, even if you don't know anything, you can still be validly confirmed and truly have received the gifts of the Holy Spirit. It's then a question of what do you do with, for the rest of your life? So coming back to your point about feeling that you've come to a place of, of healing mm -hmm. with scrupulosity, how is it that you come to a place of healing with some real spiritual malady? Well, one of the ways that we come to healing when we're dealing with a spiritual struggle is because we have the gifts of the Holy Spirit. Because God gives us those graces in our confirmation, even in our baptism, at a time when we don't understand, when we don't really know what it is that we're doing. Like I was baptized when I was a baby. I didn't know what was happening. I wasn't aware of anything happening. But God gave something to me that I was unconscious of. Right. And in that unconscious, God was still working. So even though I didn't know what was happening, I didn't realize what God was doing, he was, he was forming something in me such that when the time came, that gift could come out, that gift could be, could be released in me. Right, the seed could grow. Exactly. And so you experienced a, a time of spiritual suffering 
But the stuff necessary to bring you through that malady, the stuff necessary to help you to fight that spiritual battle was given to you on the day you were baptized and it was renewed in you on the day of your confirmation such that you could never lose it. Right. So even in that time that you felt that you were away from the faith, that you had walked away, the gifts of the Holy Spirit were still there. Nothing takes that away from you, no matter how far you might wander or the crazy stuff you might end up doing. Right. So those gifts are yours and they're yours forever. Which means that in those times of suffering and difficulty, those gifts of the Holy Spirit can become operative. And when you began to pray and to ask God to do this, he's like, guess what? It's already there. Right. It's already there, so I'm, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to release this gift for you. Right. Or I'm going to help you to recognize the gift that you have so that cooperating with me, you can overcome this difficulty so that you can come to a place of, of healing. And so that you can, when this stuff rears its head again someday, mm-hmm. you know what to do. You know what it looks like. Right. And you know how to deal with it, which is really cool. Yeah, that's amazing. Right? <laughs> <laughs> so when I, when I look at things like confirmation and are the kids prepared, um, I would love to pull the, the DREs in the diocese, right? What, what right. do you think? Are, are, are the kids prepared for confirmation? Um, I, I don't know that the answer is going to be yes in an overwhelming number of cases. Right. But I'm not sure that it has to be, not because I don't believe that the preparation and the catechesis is important. That preparation, that catechesis is absolutely important. It's, it's hugely important to do. But what's really necessary for the sacrament is that we're at least willing to receive it. But I also think I have this, this uh, there's a few families here whose children have special needs. Okay. And those kids are very capable of understanding things, but they're not very capable of expressing things. Okay. They, they have the ability to understand things, at, at the very least, at a simple level. They, they might not understand deep nuance. They might not be able to process too much information at once, but they, they do understand certain things. And so when they come to receive communion, they know what to do. They know what they're supposed to do. Even though if you ask them to say what happens, what miracle takes place at every Mass, they're not capable of saying the word transubstantiation, probably, and they definitely can't explain it. They definitely couldn't explain what happens. Uh, But if you ask them, what is this, they would be able to tell you communion. If you ask them, who is this, they'd be able to tell you Jesus. If you ask them why, they couldn't tell you. They couldn't explain it. To be fair, I feel like that's a huge majority of Catholics today. That's an enormous number of Catholics yeah. today. Yes, you're absolutely right. But if that's the case, does that mean that people aren't receiving the Eucharist? Right. No, they're, they're really receiving the Eucharist. Right. The Eucharist, the, the objective reality of the Eucharist exists absent my knowledge. Right. Even when I don't know what's happening, Jesus is present and the Eucharist is confected and the Eucharist is given. Yeah. Right. I can truly receive the Eucharist. Am I receiving everything that I possibly can? Am I, am I cooperating with the graces that God is giving? Maybe not. Right, maybe not in full. So the better prepared I am, the better I understand, or the better I keep growing in right. that Right, that's Augustine, right? I believe to understand, and I understand to better believe. Yeah. Right, so believing comes first. 
Right. Yeah. And, and that's why you can talk to kids. And th- that's why Pius X understood that children can receive the Eucharist because they can understand that it's Jesus. Right. Can they understand the full sacramental depth and right. meaning and theological implications? No. Do they need to? No. Right. But should they keep growing in that? Yes. And the same thing I think is true of our confirmation. And will the grace of re- from receiving the Eucharist, from receiving Christ himself, help them as they grow in exactly. understanding? Yes. And it's going to help. It's going to make a difference. Yeah. But I think this is where maybe with our confirmation preparation, we, we tend to fall short. Because what's the attitude usually about confirmation prep? I finish confirmation prep, I get confirmed, and then I graduate. that's graduation day. Yeah, yeah. And so now I don't have to go anymore. Now I don't have to do anything. Well, you've just received this powerhouse of gift. Right. The sevenfold gifts of the Holy Spirit are given to you. And I promise you don't know how to use right judgment yet. I promise you don't know how to use wisdom yet. You are not I, a prudent person. Exactly. <laughs> Prudence is definitely absent from your life, child. <laughs> and that's not a negative judgment. It's just a statement of fact, right? right? right. <laughs> but those gifts are given and that we're meant to grow in our understanding of them. So one of the things, I, I, and this is what I appreciate about what we're looking at now in the Diocese of Bridgeport with our, our preparation, our catechesis, that it's really about lifelong formation. And the gifts of the of the sacrament given earlier and earlier, so that's why the the age for confirmation is coming down to sixth grade, which mm-hmm. I fully support, okay. and I I urge it. If anybody isn't doing it already in their parishes, just get to it. It's it, it's not that hard. I promise, it's not that hard to, mm-hmm. to do and to prepare the kids, and the kids can really and truly receive. But the big motivator for me when we were doing this here and and getting ready for that was I was looking at what the kids have to face now as middle school students. And you're working with high school students every day. Yeah. And you're working in a very particular environment. Yeah. The the school, Cardinal Kung, you're not dealing with your typical high school environment. No, no. These are kids from families who care. And and they're they're in that school precisely because they they don't want to have some of the challenges that mm-hmm. are, are presented in other places. Now, that doesn't mean that parents who don't send their kids to a Catholic school want their kids to be right. really challenged and, and beat up. There's plenty of good reasons to send your kids to, to a public school or to a, a typical Catholic high school or something. There's nothing wrong with that, just to make sure that we're clear, mm-hmm. right? But there's there's a boatload of challenges that high school kids face regardless of what school they go to. Right. You could be homeschooled. And you're going to face the same kinds of challenges. Yeah. Go on the internet. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Just just go on the internet. But I was looking at like even our middle school kids, if we're confirming them in eighth grade when they're done with middle school, by then everything about that middle school environment has already had the chance to kind of beat them up. And if you also think about what's happening developmentally, Somebody going through middle school is is kind of a physical mess. Right. The but the emotions, the hormones, the everything's going on. Everything's yeah. happening all at once, and they they haven't learned the skills yet to process that. But if you're giving them in in or around sixth grade the gifts of the Holy Spirit and teaching them in preparation for that, helping them in the years leading up to that to to understand what the gifts are, then the idea, the truths of the faith, the truths about those gifts of the Spirit are taking root in their minds and their hearts earlier. And so at a younger age, they've, they've come to understand something about what God is doing, and then they prepare immediately for the sacrament. And then what you do is you shift away from sacramental preparation to just faith formation. Right. And that's why the, the idea of comprehensive youth ministry, middle school all the way through high school, right. is so important that now we're going to start working with, with you at a different level 
in, in a different way. We're going to talk to you in a different way. Mm-hmm. You can talk to a kid in middle school in a very different way than you can talk to a third grader. Right. And you can talk to a kid in high school about the faith in a very different way than you can talk to a middle schooler. Right. But that gives you the freedom to put them in the environment that's actually going to help them and be most conducive for them to learning the faith and to living the faith. What it also means is that you're helping them, regardless of what kind of school they go to, you're helping them to understand the gift that they received in the sacrament. So whether you go to the most Catholic of Catholic schools right. or the most public of public schools, right. what, whatever you're facing, whatever your, your situation is, having received the gifts of the Holy Spirit, you've come to understand what they are more deeply, and you're prepared to live them out every day. Right, right. And, and in a way, right, this reminds me, this may, this may be very, very Protestant of me, okay? <laughs> you did go to a Protestant college. I went, yeah, I went to the most Protestant college. <laughs> Maybe that's not true because I didn't go to like Westminster or anything like that, you know, but uh, that's really a dig at the fact that they were Southern Baptist and then became non-denominational. Um, <laughs> but, but it's kind of this concept that like everything is grace. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like everything is a grace. Uh, and I, I, the reason I say it might be Protestant of me is because I've heard people say if Luther didn't become a Protestant reformer, he would have just been a regular reformer insofar as, not not everything he did, right? But insofar as the concept of grace goes, like that everything uh, is a grace from Christ, so long as he had understood everything is a grace from Christ and we have to cooperate and, and yeah. you know, other nuances of it. But get to the basics of, of what grace is. Grace is an unmerited gift. It's an unmerited gift. God gives us things, even though we don't deserve it. Like we didn't, right. I didn't earn his, his grace. Well, that's the very act of creation itself is an right. unmerited gift. God doesn't need to create. Right. God is perfectly sufficient in himself. Right. And, and that's what I mean where it's like, this whole thing is a grace. Give them, get, let's get the kids these gifts, right? right? Because it's a grace either way. Just because they're older, you know, I believe it very strongly that, that the kids should be receiving the, the graces of the Holy Spirit, but we have to prepare them for that. Right, but you can do you can do this catechesis. I mean, look at the Eastern Rites. Yeah. You know what I mean? They These kids are chrismated. These babies are chrismated, right? And so to me, it seems, right, if you can be either confirmed as a baby or as a teenager, and either way, you're going to be catechized in equal amount, right? The baby's going to be better off as a teenager, you know what I mean? Because they're not only getting catechized, just like the kid who's not confirmed, right? But they've also got this additional help that is this yeah. grace. They have that grace. At the same time, if they don't have anything helping them to understand it more deeply, so right. if that, that grace was once received, but what are you doing with that grace now that you've received it? Right. This is where it's it's not an either or situation, but we're talking really about the both and mm-hmm. the great Catholic both and right, which is which is why I specified they would you know in this thought experiment be catechized like a hundred percent equally. Yeah, like you know, we want the kids to be well catechized and formed so that they can be prepared to receive the graces of the sacrament of confirmation. At the same time, once they've received it, they need they need ongoing formation and help to to right. learn how to do it. It's not enough to just say, okay, you've, you've got this, you're, you're on your own. Right. Now, Which this is, is the concept of graduation day. 
It's the concept of graduation. It's also, and, and this goes to something else that the bishop talks about a lot, that it's sort of the loss of the culture that we've, that we've had in the past. Once upon a time, we could kind of rely on, on a Catholic culture surrounding us mm-hmm. and a com- the idea of a community surrounding us to help us to keep growing in those, in those things. But that's really started to fade. But once upon a time, that was the case also for married couples. Right. So a young couple gets married and they're surrounded by people in their community who they've known their whole life who are either also getting married or who have been married for a while and who can be that example to them. And then they're involved within their, their Catholic community in different groups where they're encountering people who are both married, unmarried, right. uh, Single because they haven't yet gotten married or single because they're, they're widows or widowers. They're in that environment where they're, they're surrounded by people who have done this and so that community builds them up and helps them along the way. And they have kind of built into their everyday experience people they can talk to. They have people who can encourage them. They have the ability to, to learn more about what marriage is from the people who have lived it already. Likewise, we could say the same thing would be true for confirmation. Somebody confirmed in the faith would then have also the access to people who are examples of the faith, people who are, are teaching them the faith and continuing to help them to learn what, what this means and helping them to, to grow beyond just the, the classroom catechetical model. Right. But in so many ways now, we've, we've both lost that broader community. We isolate ourselves a lot more now. Uh, I don't. If I don't want to talk to anybody, I don't have to, right? Oh, yeah, it's it's so world. easy to not. You can go live out. your entire life from the couch. You can work on your couch. You can eat on your couch. Exactly. You don't even. The only thing you would have to do is get up from the couch to go to your front door to pick up your DoorDash. Right, and th- it's easy for us to kind of enjoy that withdrawal. And don't get me wrong, I enjoy that withdrawal. Right, sometimes. of course. I, I like the retreat from the world every once yeah. in a while. But there's there's also this loss then of of the sense of community that I'm needed. That, that was one of the things that struck me the, the most was the idea that uh, not just that the community is here for you, but that you're missed when you're not part of this community. You're missed when you're not here, and the community, you add something to the community when you go to worship. When you go to Mass, you're adding something to that community that's gathered to worship. And so even though Mass can take place without you, well, not without me. Yeah. Like they, they need me for mass. I'm I'm the priest. Right. Uh, <laughs> if you want to have mass, you don't have a priest. Sorry, it's gonna be you can't idea. have mass. Yeah. You, you actually need me. Need me. Want me. Love me. <laughs> but Re- there's real it in father. There's sorry. sorry. <laughs> there's really and truly a, a sense in which you're necessary for for the mass. Right. We need you if 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 you're part of this. If you're part of this community, then, then your absence actually hurts the community, not because you're trying to hurt anybody, not because you're doing anything, but just because your absence is noted. And we need that. Well, if we fall into this idea that we can withdraw, that we don't really need to be there, uh, or if we just get used to the idea that the community is something kind of isolated, I go to Mass, and that's the extent of my participation in the community. That's the only time I belong to the community. So if I only belong when I'm worshiping, then it's not necessary for me to think of myself as part of this community at any other time. Right. I only need to worry about stuff when I'm like this. When I was a kid, we used to have a block party on my street, and there were people who lived on my street who I only saw at the block party. Mm. I never saw them the rest of the the rest of the year, and I had no. They lived on. I lived on a hill, so mm. they lived at the bottom of the hill, and I lived at the top of the hill. And certain houses, I would only see those folks who lived at the bottom of the hill if they came to the block party. Sure. But. 
I knew most of the other people on the street. Right. And there was that sense that maybe these are the houses where people don't want to participate. They don't want to be part of our, right. our community. Um, now, I don't know. I could be totally wrong about that. Right. And maybe right. they were super active at their at their part of the street. And just because I lived up at the top of the hill. Right, right. You lived like, on the wrong side of the hill. I didn't feel like hiking back uphill every time, right? It's not really, yeah. I mean, it's not really a <laughs> it's phrase. Not, it's not a phrase, but it, it works. Anyway, um, to answer the question, how uh-huh. do I feel about saying that the kids are, are prepared for confirmation? That is hilarious that this is it. That man, what a roundabout. I love it. I don't really have a problem with it in that. It sounds like you want it to be earlier. I I am a big fan of what they do in the Archdiocese of Denver, okay. where they have the restored order of the sacraments. And part of the preparation for, for the sacraments is uh, that the parents are also being formed along the way. So oh, there's, yeah. there's a parental catechesis component and there's a child catechesis component. And I, I think that that's an essential piece, that the whole family is involved in this, that the, that the parents know that they're invited also. Um, but also that we require it. If you want your right, kids to, yeah, if you want your kids to be confirmed and, and receive the Eucharist, you also have to come for this this time of formation. I think that's key. Because what it's doing is it's... it's as a CCD teacher. Yeah, it's acknowledging that that as we get older, we become more capable of learning more. Right. Our understanding changes, but how many people are out there walking around with the understanding of the Catholic faith that they got when they were last in catechesis or last in Catholic school? Right, which and, would be eighth grade or or twelfth grade, depending on on who you are. Right? Yeah, and this is it. JP two that called it the, the the families the domestic church. Yeah, right. So if this if it really is the domestic church, right, then the parents are the leaders. And if the parents can't lead because they haven't been catechized, but they're confirmed, so we know the gifts are there, right? We just have to develop them, right? We've been given it now. Now we have to cooperate, right? Right. I I love that. And it's also an acknowledgement that we have the capacity to learn. And if you look at doctors, lawyers, teachers, what do they have to do all the time? Nurses, ongoing certification, ongoing progress in Mm -hmm. in their professional fields. And this is because there's so many developments constantly happening. There's also a need for ongoing development in our understanding of the faith. Mm Mm-hmm. Not because there's new stuff coming, new new things are happening, and we're like, "Hey, new revelation just just dropped last week." Right, it's right. It's nothing but, like that. But no. there's there's so much that we can continue to grow in our understanding of about the mysteries of God, about the way that God is active, and our whole life is. This is another John Paul II line: mm-hmm. uh, "Become what you are." Okay. Well, that means that we're in a constant process of becoming. If I'm always aiming at sanctity. Right. Well, you know, today was a really good day for my sanctity, but tomorrow might really stink. Right. <laughs> tomorrow right. I might do a really bad job right. at becoming holy. This holiness of life that we're called to is an ongoing process. Yeah. And so we have to be ready to enter into that ongoing process. So what I would I would like to be able to say about the kids who are there for confirmation is I know that this is valid matter for the sacrament of confirmation. These are all baptized persons mm-hmm. and they all want to be confirmed. And I can tell you that they have done a period of time of preparation. They've been formed. Right. We've, we've done this time with them, and we've, we've done this work with them. They are able to receive this sacrament. And then I would like to add to it, this isn't part of the script that we use, this isn't something that, that's ever been there. I, I want to add to it, I'm committed to helping them continue to grow in these graces that they're about to receive. Mm. I'm committed to being here for them, to helping them as they as they grow in their Christian life. I can't tell you that they know everything or that they're perfect people, and 
I'm not a perfect person myself, so yeah. I can't say anything about perfection. Right. But I can tell you that they've been prepared. I can tell you that they want to be confirmed. I can tell you that they're able to be confirmed. And I can tell you that I'm here to support them in that. And if that becomes our attitude as a church, like we're here to prepare you, we're here to help you, and we're here to keep walking with you, that's Pope Francis talking about accompaniment. Right. Right. Smell like the sheep. That's it. Yeah. Perfect. You want to give us a blessing? That was a lot of tangents. It was, so. but but in an, in an unexpected way. I didn't expect to talk so much about this this episode. <laughs> so. Well, may Almighty God pour out his graces and blessings upon you, the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. Thanks for listening to The Tangent. Father Sam Pachuba. I'm Matt Spraza. God bless you. <laughs>